This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today we have a special roundtable edition of Marketing Trends. We've had the discussion before about what CMOs should do in their first 90 days, but this is sort of a hands-on version of that. For this roundtable, we have Tom Buda, who has served as a CMO multiple times and is currently the CMO of SignalFX, and Lauren Vaccarello, who had just been announced as the new CMO of Talent when this episode was recorded. So they bring their perspectives from opposite ends of the CMO journey and talk about what it takes to be successful in your first 90 days of taking over a new job as a CMO. Ian, Lauren, and Tom also talk about real-time analytics, leadership, giving feedback, and much more. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click the link in the show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to the Marketing Trends Roundtable. It's a, sort of a tripod rather than a roundtable today. We had a guest, unfortunately, not be able to make it. But we have two amazing guests here. Tom, what's going on? Hey, great to be here. Great to have you back. Third time uh, officially on Marketing Trends, which is so fun. And we have a CMO pal, old friend, co-host of the show, Lauren, what's going on? Not much. Hey, everybody. Excited to be here today. This is the first time that you're officially in your new role. How does it feel? It feels really good for the people who've been listening for a while. I took the last few months off on a sabbatical. And for everyone that's listening, highly recommend if you ever get a chance to take a sabbatical, do it. For everyone that is listening and their boss is also listening, um, <laughs> just tell your boss I told you to do this. But <laughs> absolute best thing I could possibly have done. And now I'm officially in a new role as CMO of Talent. Yeah, do you want to do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about the the company and why are you so excited to join before um, we get rolling? Sure. So Talent's a really exciting company. They're a public company in the data integration space. And if you start to think about where the world is going, we're no longer buying all of our technology from from one place. We're getting data from tons and tons of different sources, and you're storing data in different data repositories. And as a business, the most important thing for us to do is actually how do we access this information? How do we access it quickly? And how do we make recommendations for the business? And Talon has a bunch of really exciting products around data fabrics and ETLs that make it easier, not just for IT to pull um, insights from data, but also for the businesses to pull insights from data. And I think there's a ton of opportunity with Talon to really push digital transformation and have a big impact on the industry. And I love kind of deep, nerdy tech companies. So this lets me dive into that. And boy, they they picked a winner. Um, and so did you. So today we're going to be talking about, you know, the CMO of the future. We're going to talk about some real-time customer engagement. We're going to talk about first 90 days as a CMO, since this is, you're living it right now. Mm -hmm. um, so to start off, Tom, first 90 days as a new CMO, you've done this a couple times. What was your mindset going in? So first is to try to understand the industry. And uh, so read as much as you can, you know, about, about the industry. Try to understand the company's perspective about the industry. And usually you gain that by talking to people. So I do a lot of tours and I did a lot of tours of our, of people who were there in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but not just the founding CTO or the founder, Karthik, the CEO, but in talking to some of the early engineers, you know, who actually were working on the product. I'm like, well, why did you build this? And why is it better? And what value have you seen in creating this? And how did you determine that this is what you wanted to do? So try to understand it from their perspective. And then on the other end of it, I would go and talk to customers and understand how they were using it, what value they were getting, who else they evaluated. Um, so it was really important to get that inside outside perspective. And then 
reading the analyst reports and ideally trying to meet with them and get their perspective on 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 where things are and where things are going. Oh, that's a good. We I don't think anyone has said that yet on on one of the roundtables of meeting with the analysts. Mm. That's pretty good. Were there any things that you kind of found when you were talking to analysts in that situation? Well, um, we value every analyst. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I'll just be politically correct and say that. Um, but some are more aligned with your perspective than others, right? And so, what's really important is to quickly identify who they are and who those influencers are, and provide them with as much information that you can in order to help them continue to amplify the point of view that you happen to, you know, believe is right. That's a great, that's a great insight. Lauren, what about you? You're going into a new role. What are the things that you're thinking about right now? What are the things that, that you're doing behind the scenes and that you're going to do in the first 90 days? So a lot of, a lot of what Tom was talking about rings so true. It's the, you don't know what you don't know. And it's so easy to go into a role and have all of these assumptions and you get the the outside perspective and something that we had talked about earlier was um, everyone has an opinion about marketing, regardless of what company, everyone will have an opinion about marketing. One yeah. of the most beautiful things about marketing is it's so visible. The downside of it is it's so visible and something that I'm being very conscious of is. I now have that that outside perspective of I can look at what do I what do I see on the website what can, what am I reading what do I watch in uh, event keynotes and I have all of these perspectives on this is what I'm seeing but also underneath it are a bunch of assumptions and I can make assumptions on good or bad without any without any context and if I approach the role with you know, this is what I believe to be right. This is what I believe to be wrong without spending time talking to people, talking to customers, getting that context. I can very quickly make the same mistake and create that same uh, defensiveness from people that as marketing leaders, we can easily do when someone in a different department comes up and says, well, I don't like this about what you just did and here's why. And it, you have to be really, really conscious of minding your your assumptions before you go in because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, I think um, I think that's absolutely true. Ultimately, you know, the CMO's job is to harness both the technical you know, capability of the company, but also the intellectual mm-hmm. um, thought that has gone into the formation of it and the reasons why. And so, and your job is to, to tell that story in as compelling a way as possible. And yes, there is probably way too much um, that the company has done to talk about what's really cool about it mm-hmm. because that's what you do, mm-hmm. especially if it's founded by technical people, yeah. uh, right? Um, and so it's like, how do I strip some things away or how do I package up some things so that it's actually more impactful than the things individually, right? So by doing that, you need to have people understand that you have, in fact, heard them, mm-hmm. right? And you also need to show, like, why you need to move a certain way and show them how, that, that, how that's possible so that they actually can come along with you. I, that's great. And I had a, a friend of mine actually say something to me today who's also a CMO, and she went, your job, your job going in is you're a tour guide and you need to think of yourself as a tour guide. You might know what the answer is. You might know what to do. Your job isn't just to go do it. Your job is to take everyone sort of on that journey and on that path so they see the same the same things that you say. Yeah. And I was like, okay. I yeah, like it's this. like when you read a book and the rest of your team doesn't read the book, mm-hmm. right? It's like like, but I know all this stuff that that you don't know. And it's, you know, unless you're all on the same page, uh, I guess it's probably where that comes from, not being on the same page, um, that, uh, that there's just kind of not that shared level of consciousness. I love the idea of what you said, Tom, about this taking stock of like the content and the ideas that have already been created at the mm-hmm. company and saying, and just like repackaging those in a way. I think that there's probably a, you know, this idea maybe going in that some CMOs have, which is what new stuff do we need to make? But to your point, you probably have a lot of the stuff already there. It's just not packaged in the right way to reach a customer. It might be just a little bit more product centric. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. 
some things individually just don't have as much. It's like a team sport, right? So there's potentially there's individuals who do their particular jobs really well, but they're made to be uh, that much more valuable in combination with others. And it's being able to look at that kind of holistically as opposed to just focusing on that one thing or the other. And there was um, something that I also I think about and during Megan Eisenberg's interview, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. So good. Um, one of the things that she talked about is when she went into her first CMO role and the role that she has now at, at Trip Actions, she has to remember her job is no longer because she came up from a demand gen background. Her job isn't just a partner with sales. It's to partner across the entire company. And it is how is marketing? Yes, driving revenue. But what are we doing from working with the product organization? How are we guiding product roadmap and articulating product roadmap? What are you doing with regard to the people team and how are you building an employee brand? And the role of the CMO is not just how are you sort of driving the marketing side, but what are you doing across the entire leadership team to help grow the business? And I remember uh, Megan saying that and she articulated the why so, so well and sort of sticks with me. Not mm. only does Lauren co-host the podcast, she listens to the episodes yeah. she's not on. That's what we love when about her. I, can you say sabbatical? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So even even when I'm not here, everybody, I'm still here still in here. spirit. Still here. Um, was there a certain thing that you did in those first 90 days or that, that you've seen other CMOs do that were, hey, I'm going to make sure that in the first 90 days, this one thing that I clearly identify needs fixing gets fixed. That's, you know, high vis thing for the leadership team or something that when you joined the CEO was like, you know what really bugs me, you know, that add on 101 or what, you know, whatever it is. Well, in, in, in the case of uh, signal effects, it was real. it was very, very, very clear what my agenda needed to be in those first 90 days. And it was in our case, it was literally to create our point of view deck. Like mm -hmm. and and to create the quote unquote market texture with it, which is identifying effectively the space, but where we fit in the space. Mm -hmm. And because that that wasn't done that well prior to Mark Craney and then uh, then me, you know, starting the co company, being at the company. And so Craney was like, I can't go to market without this. So like this fundamentally, we have got to nail this. So literally, that's all I focused on. And what was interesting is that we, you know, so we had, we, and we had the SEs involved and we had the CEO involved and we had product team involved and we had these outside designers that were trying to help us because we were working in the most creative, not platform of all time, PowerPoint, mm -hmm. and trying to develop this, right? So we had to sort of step back from the tool and try and figure out like what is we were trying to envision, literally putting pencil to paper and then being able to put it inside the tool. Once we put it inside the tool with all the limitations that existed, being able to have something that was changeable, we never got to it. So these outside designers we were frustrating and they were frustrating us. So I literally met the first person I brought into the company was a designer that I first met at Red Hat. Yeah, that no I've been kidding. working with all those years. And I said, Dennis, come on in. Are you available? Sit next to me. And we literally, we were working on two big screens and that's that was our work environment. And that's what we did. I love that. I love the idea of like the CMO being the chief market officer of like, you have to know the market in order to know the market. You have to see it. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to be able to see it on a slide, you know, on a PowerPoint deck and then bringing in the designer. It's like, you know, everything in life is designed. Like you should probably have a designer as, as uh, you know, your right hand gal or something. Yeah, no, no. It, and it made a huge difference because we were just able to iterate much faster and literally make adjustments as people were looking at things. And I'd say, I mean, we look back on some of those early sketches. We went through a ton of versions, but we've locked it. You know, we've locked it pretty, pretty well. We're actually doing another rev now. And that's, you know, two years later. So what's funny too, is for those folks who haven't checked out the SignalFX website, you should check it out. Um, you have really good visuals. And I always think about that. It's like with, with our company at Mission, I was like, we have horrible visuals because we're, you know, an audio company and we have, want to paint the picture in an audio, you know, landscape and we have really cool artwork, but the visuals of how a product can do things is so powerful. And I think just so many companies just miss the boat on that. Completely, completely agree. And I'm I'm very jealous of of your website. It's so great. Well, I know. Such great visuals. But it 
That yeah. was so. That was that was then the second project, which is okay. Now, how do we take that and share it, not just in one-on-one basis, but with you know the world through our website? I will. I will tell you though, the challenge to having started that way, it, it was a benefit to me, but it was also a, a challenge. And the challenge was, I didn't understand it. Yeah. At the same level that these people who have been in this industry, specific industry for a very long time and who were part of the founding of this business or who had sold it, you know, in many instances. So the sort of specifics that they were looking for, it was hard to add more value other than from this is just a better way to communicate Mm -hmm. the concept, Mm -hmm. right? Or to be a bridge to the designer. And said, well, I really think they're saying this, not exactly that. Mm-hmm. They might be looking for that, but I think we can move it this way. I, I was just a conduit. Yeah, in, translator. In, in many ways. But isn't that for technical products? Like, the, isn't the CMO up most of the time is like, let's take the complex and make it simple, right? If that's what our goal of our product is to do, right? Yeah, it's true. But but you also have to understand it Yeah, yep. to get to that simplicity, right? And that was, I was being guided because I, I just didn't know enough. But, you know, we've gotten there. So, yeah. It's interesting. I'm I'm going through something really. I keep what hitting the microphone. The mic? I keep hit hitting the mic. the mic today. Sorry, Jonah. It's the Italian thing, you know. It's like the, Did I tell you? This is my, no, this is my oh, joke. Are you ready for my, this is my new, my new, my new marketing joke is when you're in the podcast studio and especially folks like you two, you got the hands going <laughs> and you're doing all this stuff, but you're not saying it into the mic. You're hand splaining. Oh. Do you like that? Uh, mm. It's pretty bad. <laughs> okay. I'm going to try this again. I'm gonna, I don't know how to talk without my hand. <laughs> I, so I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm going through something really similar with Talon right now is it's a really complex product. It's in a really complex suite of products. And it is sort of deep, deep in the, the dev arc infrastructure. And I am by no means an expert in this. And right now it is, how do I get up to speed on the product, on the industry? How do I have an intelligent conversation with our engineering team, with our product team, with our customers and get the enough depth of knowledge, but also find a way to translate that in a really clear, concise, approachable way that is very, very benefits, uh, benefit driven for the audience. And it's this interesting place to be in of I do not need to have the technical depth that, say, our head of engineering has, but I need to be a good translator throughout the entire process. So it's how do I learn, but still keep that little bit of sort of distance and that allows you to have a more clear translation. Yeah. First 90, I actually think you have nine, you have six months where you still maintain really good perspective Mm -hmm. and then it starts to go away. (laughs) Right. And then, then you need you need to take a very long flight or you need to take a couple of weeks off yep. or whatever it might be, you know, sort of hit pause. And then all of a sudden you just start activating other thoughts. And I think because perspective is really, really important. Yeah. Completely. And we got hired for, we all, CMOs get hired for several reasons, but don't underestimate the value of an external perspective coming in because you just, you see things that the longer you're there, you just become blind to. Here's the other challenge that I had in nearly every, I think in every other situation that I was brought into, there was a very, really, really clear outcome that I needed to get to and I needed to get to it quickly. And that was usually about fundamental positioning mm-hmm. of the company, mm-hmm. positioning platform. In some cases, it was also marketing the space. So it was like category positioning, yeah. category marketing. And then how do we enable that brand to be seen as the leader of that new space? as it were. In this case, there was only, there was one person that was on my team, right? When I started and I built a lot of fundamentals, right? It was literally building it from the ground up. And so put a team together, put the whole demand gen machine together, put the content machine together, you know, put the brand awareness machine, you know, so literally was like building blocks. And I had to start with feeding the sales force because the sales force had been built ahead of marketing. Mm-hmm. And so I had to feed the sales force and it wasn't until a little over a year after I had started with a big new product announcement that we were literally able to pull the marketing function 
out ahead of sales and the company and lead. I'm not used to that. I'm used to like leading to start. Yeah. That perspective, I could yep. see where it's going to go, where it needs to go and put all that program in place and go. But this was very different. That's a really interesting kind of anecdote because I think, you know, we were talking before this about this idea of like the head of marketing role, which I think a lot of startups start out with where you have sales driven culture, where sales is leading the way you bring on the marketer, super early marketer. That's like the head of role, um, not necessarily a CMO yet. And they have to build the team, but they're playing catch up to Mm -hmm. sales for a long time. So it's like if you're constantly playing catch up and you're never out in front of sales, then you're kind of just never going to be taken that seriously. And part of the role of marketing is to look several hills down the road. Sales needs to focus on how do I close deals? How do I grow the business in the immediate? Part of what marketing needs to do is think about how do we make sure we are set up to have long-term sustainable growth as a company? How do we make sure we're in the right category? The category is growing. We have the right target audience. And if marketing is always playing catch up and it is 100%, how do you feed the beast? You're not going to, that is when you have head of marketing because you can't take a strategic position in the company because it's, I need to keep chasing after sales because if I don't, they're going to make my life very, very difficult. Yeah, it's, it's you, you have to dual track. Yep. You, you do, you've got, you've got a team of folks focused on, you know, here's how we're going to affect the given quarter or maybe a quarter out. And then you've got a, a smaller group, usually led by the CMO, that's thinking six months to a year out. And so at, early at on, did you not, you just didn't have the resources to be able to dual track? Was that kind of like part of the issue? I didn't have the resources, nor did I feel like it was the right time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's what, I mean, who knows what the, you re, what the history, what the story will tell, you know, once you look back on it. But a classic, you know, high profile CMO would typically want to do what I said I didn't do, which is would want to come in and say, oh, here's a way to recapture or restate or reposition this company. Here's the story. Here's the new video. Here's the like. Here's the big fancy. Right. Here's the big fancy. Here's the billboard on 101. But underneath it, there wouldn't be enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it was more important because of the way we were successful when we were in deals. It was more important to actually enable more people to get in front of more people. Yeah. Because we had a really good success rate Mm -hmm. and then build from there. And now that we've actually got some scale, now it's better time right? To get out ahead. That's, and you know, based off the fact that I've talked to a bunch of the folks on, on the C-suite, that was one of the things um, in talking to them was just like the success rate of these deals and like how, you know, signal effects salespeople were winning and talking about the product and how the product, when it was in the hands, like the demo rate, it's like, if you get them to demo the product in real, it's a real time monitoring. So it's yeah. like, if you're demoing the product, like you're going to win yep. um, in a lot of cases. So focusing on the wins, you know, is super critical when you have a product that's that strong in the market. Do you think that there was one or two CMOs that you've, that you've reported to in your career that particularly like got it right, that you kind of modeled some of your things after, or were, were you always kind of chasing the beast? So I, because I love anecdotes and stories, um, I worked for, uh, one of the CMOs I worked for at Salesforce told me something that sort of always stuck with me. And he's like, who you are as a marketer and who you are as a leader is basically a stained glass window. And all of the people that you've worked with over your career make up pieces of the, the glass and sort of the stained glass window of who you are. And some have bigger pieces of it and some have smaller pieces. And that sort of always stuck with me. And even the people that you have worked with or worked for that you completely disagree with and you don't necessarily believe in, they will all leave a piece, whether it's good or bad. And I think about sort of who's left bigger, bigger pieces on my own career. It was someone like Kendall Collins, who was the CMO of Salesforce, the first one uh, that I worked for, and his overall vision and a big piece of what he did and this was you know 10 years ago was saying we're going to invest in digital and this is why it's going to work 
And then another CMO actually who came on the show and we interviewed Craig Swensard, who is absolutely fantastic and love his new company, uh, Qualified. So if anyone's listening, you should go by Qualified. He was so good at narrative storytelling and yeah. what he was so good at that I will always remember and I take for everyone that I work that has worked for me is when Craig believed in you, you could run through walls. And I think of myself as a leader and that thing he was able to do for me and knowing that he has such faith and he has given me this absolutely insane goal, but he believes I can do this so I can. And I think about when people work for me, how do I take that same thing and how do I push that on them so that people on my team are able to do more than they ever, ever thought possible? Because CMOs are only one person. We are one person and it is not about our strength. It is about what we can do to really get as much from the people around us. So I've actually never worked for CMO. You Are you what? serious? Yeah. I, I think, you know, I mean, I my first job as a CMO was a CMO. And yeah, that's, I mean, I guess that's true. Yeah. And so I was, you know, I was on the sort of agency side or the consulting side before and worked really closely with CMOs whom I did learn things from. And then there are, so, so I you worked for the best CMOs then. Basically. So, I, so I can tell you, I can <laughs> tell you there, there's probably, there's probably four people that have had a, a, a great deal of influence on how I think about the job. The first was a CMO that I worked for who I actually knew prior to that because his own background was similar to mine and he got parachuted and became a CMO of KPMG when it was becoming a global entity. And, you know, consulting businesses were taking over and all the rest. So um, the one thing he said to me is the way to win a market is to own the problem, like to own the customer problem. And I always remember that phrase. What is the problem that we're helping to solve? And can we own that? In other words, what's that thing that's in the way that we need to get past? And can we own that in the case of, say, Sprinkler of like, how can we let people know that we actually know more about them than often than they often feel. Yeah. Right. So that we can help them feel better. So their experience is better. So owning that problem. So that was one. Another was the chief product who I named the chief product officer at PTC, uh, who's today the CEO of the company. And he, I just learned an awful lot about really the integrity of the platform and what the platform could hold. And we built a really great engine together that's still running there, by the way, uh, this whole value-based roadmap that we created. And he he was truly a partner and he and I embraced him and he embraced me and that never had happened there before. And building that partnership meant everything to me. And so that was a key learning. And then the partner that I had in the business that we had built that served all these companies, including Red Hat, which ultimately hired me away. I took over as CEO for this guy because 20 minutes into a conversation, I'm like, I haven't heard anybody think about and talk about this stuff the way you do, except when I think about it and talk about it. Yeah. And like, we've got to figure out how to do business together. And mm -hmm. so we merged our companies and off we went. And I still, to this day, continue to use him as, as a counsel, really, mm -hmm. for me. And the, the thing that I learned from him is like, he said, he said, you know, often you have all the information really that you need to, to get to where you want to get to. And you can get there a lot faster if you follow a process. And we mathematically created this idea of if you start at the number one and you want to get to the number 10, which is that end state, that there's probably a, you can literally do a leap based upon everything you know everything that you have access to, you can leap to what the end could be or maybe what two or three end states could be. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to go track back to number two and wade your way through the data. And you can actually track back and start testing things and validate. And so you can just shave time and cycles out of that process. So we call it 110, 8, 9, 10. And it works. And I sort of try, I try that on almost every time when I have to solve a problem. I'll try to leap and then start valid testing those validations because we don't have enough time necessarily, you know, to you know put the you know nine month piece of research in place and wait for the answers to pop out the other end. It's not going to happen. 
it just seems like there's so many of the great leaders that have like clear convictions about like the future that they see and are process, not tactics, and then just find tacticians around them that can like, you know, test and iterate on those kind of things. Like, you know, the person who wants to make the big splash with the add on 101 or the TV spot or whatever. Again, not that those are bad tactics, but like, you know, that's part of a play that you're running, not the strategy, right? Like not the thing that you believe in the future. Exactly. Because if it ends up being what well, you have to be careful of, are you doing this for vanity? And because it feels good, the billboard on the 101 or the airport takeover looks cool and feels cool. And you have to be careful of, are you doing this for ego and for your ego or the CEO's ego? Or to your point, is this part of a much bigger, again, with the microphone, one more time, uh, or is this part of a much bigger... <laughs> I'm going to start hitting mine. I, 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 I never do this. I've never seen anyone hit a mic uh, four times in, in 40 minutes. Uh, or is this part of a much bigger strategy and plan? Because if it is, great, but that needs to come first to knowing why you're doing something versus, well, this this sort of feels good. And I think as to be marketing leaders, we don't get the pass on a lot of the big, flashy, sort of ego-driven marketing. Yeah. I think Lauren brought up an interesting point that, in my opinion, it's fundamental to what a CMO as a leader uh, should embrace. And that is really, not only is your job to help position your company in a way that you can guide your customers to where they need to go and how to get there, and enable the sales force to help them on that quote journey. But I think you also need to be a coach, a mentor, and a guide to your team. And it's easy to go into the document and do all the work. So a lot of times, because I'm really passionate about words, I always go in and do suggesting when I'm editing documents as opposed to just edit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the reason I do that is so they can still see the differences. Yes. And in some cases, I'll also just make a comment and talk to, well, consider this versus this. And then in an asynchronous way, it's providing guidance. And then I think also understanding that people are at different points in their lives. A lot of the people that work for me are, are really early in their careers and they're all aimed to please. They're mm -hmm. all smart. They're all highly talented people, but you can provide a, a little bit of a broader perspective for them to help to help them think beyond the immediate. And I think it'll have some influence. Yeah. And I, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more on that. It's explaining why and the suggestions and the comments, you know, doing something like editing some sort of a document teaches people why it's I could just give you the answer or I can show you why this is why I think this is the answer and always open to suggestions, but this is how to start thinking about it. And I always find doing that, it gives them a better understanding of your perspective, your point of view also can help teach them how do I get better? And the more you invest in doing that, I find the fewer times you have to do that after that because it's, have you considered this when you're writing this? Can you think about it this way? that just starts to make them think about things in a slightly different way. So 10 times down the road, you have almost no edits. Everything is good. And then when you hire that person again and again and again, you have this great shorthand that just speeds up to your point in getting from one to 10. Yeah. Yeah. In the military, we called it, you know, task and purpose, which is, it's just super critical to be able to say like, here's the thing that you need to do and here's the why behind it. And I think writing specifically, like especially creative work, I have found in my career, it is really, really, really hard to write something extraordinarily well yourself, give it to someone else and say, hey, write like this in the future, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's like really hard. Yeah. And to go and make the edits, like you don't know why you're making the edits. It's like, especially, you know, and we do a lot of like, historical fiction or fictional work and stuff like that, which is even like levels of complexity more. But it's like, you can tell someone like show, don't tell, you know, like mm -hmm. don't have the person do an expose on like, you know, how their mom was mean to them, like just through their actions, have them, you know, 
treat people in a way that shows that. Easy to say, but when you provide the, you know, suggested comments or, you know, comment on the GDoc or whatever it is versus just making the edits, like it is a huge way. And if you're not kind of doing that stuff and you're just like, hey, I'll just do it myself, like that just never scales. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there's another concept that I think is interesting and I'm I'm seeing it a lot more this time. And that is the hardest thing to do a la Nike is to actually just start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to start. And I really, really, really appreciate people who can start projects. Mm-hmm. And so we had an example yesterday. We're envisioning, you know, a new way to think about our customer advisory board and mm. customer kind of summit type things. And have an individual working for us that I have a ton of time for. And put together a presentation based off a meeting we had that basically laid out a lot of the concepts that we had talked about and then went in and I went in and another person went in and we, I think we took it and elevated it to Mm -hmm. a better level, Mm -hmm. right? We made it better. But I said to him when we were done, I said, it's really hard. I really appreciate how hard it is to start something and you're really good at starting something but also look at where we took it. So the next time you start something, it'll be further along. Mm-hmm. Even today, I made a slight adjustment in a press release that we have teed up. And it was just a, it was just literally a slight thing. And it came out of an article that I had just read that referenced this particular business. And I said, what do you think about putting this instead of that? And he said, yeah, let's do it. I made the change. And so I sent him a note on Slack and I just said, I said, that, my friend, is the power of teamwork. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he sent me, a, you know, an emoji, whatever you call the movie thing. Yeah. With a dog holding another dog ways not to fall over the edge. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I said, yeah, something like that. <laughs> the do- I wish the dog. I was funny on Slack. Both. I don't know how to be. I'm like. I'll settle I'm, I'm with you just commenting on Slack. Yes. Like, we, you don't even have to be funny. You just start commenting and it'll be, it'll be a step in the right direction. <laughs> I, I'm a Slack stalker and I add some emoticons. Yeah. But are they emoticons or emojis? I don't know. Emojis? Little emojis. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Emoticons are totally different. Um, I had emojis sometimes. Is an emoticon just... a moving emoji? Kind of? No. I don't know what emoji um, It's like irregardless. It's a word that's made up. Emoticon might be a word that's made up. Oh, so emoticons aren't, is it, it's an em- emotion plus icon? Oh, I see. Oh, it's like the, uh, I don't know. Is it what old people call emojis? It's it's definitely what people <laughs> who don't know what the kids are doing talk about. Um, but no, I, I, love, I love what you said because to your point, it's like, I'm not asking you to, oh, to start the GDoc. I'm asking you to get the solution to an 80%. And then once you get it to me, it's like, send me the thing that is started that's like, hey, this is my pass on it. The next step of that is the... Do you think that this will pass the Ian test? Do you think that like how much red do you think I'm going to put into this guy? <laughs> right? Like, is this your best work? Like, is this your best stab at it? Or is this like your 80%? And I always just think that like that level of teaching them how you would mark up the doc is like the next level of that, which mm-hmm. is like, I super appreciate you getting this to a point where it's like I can make edits on it and you brought something new into the world that then we could jam on is so much different than the person who's going to ask you 50 questions about what needs to be done. Like, just go do the thing. And for anyone, anyone who works for me that listens to this will learn something about me very quickly. Do you know when I give no feedback? Mm, No. When it is so bad, I don't know what to say. Yeah. And the worst thing you can ever get from me is no feedback on a doc. The best thing you can ever get from me, especially the first time, is a ton of feedback. Because if there is a ton of feedback, I think it's great and it has potential. If there is no feedback, it tends to be, I don't even know where to start with Control this. Control A, select doc, and then just say fix. Yeah. <laughs> can we highlight everything? Try again. Yeah. No, no, exactly. I was I was actually thinking about that same thought when you started out I was, and what I was thinking about was how it hurts my head. <laughs> it, literally, my head started to hurt when I started thinking about things that I look at and go, I don't know where to start because it's not right. It's, it's try again. Yeah. yeah. Well, in the military, you know, it's funny. So I, I hated getting my hair cut 
I liked having longer hair and I hated uniform standards. I just thought they were so stupid. I'm like, who cares? Like we're going to war, like doesn't really matter. But what you realize as a leader, when you're not the one like making sure that you have the, you know, short hair and all that stuff is that the uniform standards are not about uniforms and haircuts. It's about if you can't do the little things right, then you definitely you're, you are subject to getting other things wrong. And like, that's what it was always about. And I always think about that with, with our employees where it's like, if you can't do the formatting right, there's probably a million other holes in this. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think, you know, when you're younger, you're like, why do these people care about formatting? It's like, yeah, because if you don't format right, well, imagine what's actually in the doc. And how can I trust you actually did the research? If you're going to miss the really, really simple details, how do I know you've done anything else? I used to watch uh, Kitchen Nightmares, the Gordon <laughs> Ramsay show. And one thing that I remembered in that, and he would freak out on everybody who did something wrong. But one thing that just seems so innocuous that I'm like, why is this like the biggest travesty is someone left the base of the lettuce that you're supposed to cut off mm -hmm. and throw out and put that in the salad. Mm -hmm. And it, like, just take it out. It's not a big deal. And he's like, no, if this is the thing you miss, you have no attention to detail. Yeah. I can't fix this. Yeah. And that was the thing he sent somebody home for that. You're saying they're going, can't you just. Mm. Oh, no, this is this is the symptom of a much bigger problem. Yeah, because I mean, because that indicates health standards. It indicates like all sorts of other yeah. things. I want to switch to real time engagement. This is something that is absolutely fascinating going forward. You know, who better than Tom to talk about real-time stuff because um, SignalFX is in real-time monitoring. But with real-time customer engagement, we now have the opportunity to talk to people in real-time. When we had Tom on the first time, you know, one of their customers does like five-minute flash sales. And so basically, like, you know, imagine you have... 100,000 people on your site in five minutes to sell this thing, mm -hmm. you are you need to know within seconds whether or not your site, if it goes down, you're talking about potentially millions of dollars lost. But it's also like these opportunities are hugely beneficial from a marketing perspective, assuming your site is up, to be able to take action. Um, when people come to your site, to be able to do things like give them, you know, more personalization, more conversational stuff like, you know, qualified. Tom, I'm curious... What do you think with like real-time customer engagement, what do you think is exciting to you to be able to empower sales to have these these conversations in real time? It's just having immediate access to information. So I think if you have immediate access to information, you can get a full, you should have a fuller profile of who that person is that you're talking to. And if you can convey that you actually have some understanding of who that person is, then the experience that they have should be should be better. And if you start to think about things like, you know, on the B2B side, product engagement or on the, the B2C side, since, you know, I shop a little too much lately, <laughs> is what are you doing to capture that that moment of intent and the ability to engage with customers at that at that moment where it's I was on your website looking to buy a very nice new um, St. Laurent tote that I just bought. Um, I like those shoes, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I've upgraded my wardrobe. I've got amazing YSL moccasins hey, right now. New job, new wardrobe. New job, new wardrobe. And as evident by my credit card bill right now. And it's the going in, I'm looking at something, I didn't buy it. Am I getting an email right away to remind me that engaged? And then... Even when I was at Box, we looked a lot about what can we do, not as real time as we would have liked, but at least much more time effective engaging with our customers. If you're inside of the product and you open a box note, but you don't do anything with it. Well, you showed a degree of interest and a degree of intent. And as a marketer, it's my job to what can I do to send you content and communication that moves you along in that in that journey. And this is so much of where I think marketing is going. And it's about opting in. It's about letting the customer prospect opt into the communication style that they want. Like, that's what I think is so exciting with like AI and chatbots and all these sort of things. You know, we talked about on a recent episode, like how awful calling a number was. Mm -hmm. And 
having to like wait for all the options to hit the button of like, you know, four is, you know, talk to whatever HR or whatever. Now, the fact that you can spit them out five options, it's like, do you want, you know, A, B, C, or D or E is like, talk to a human in the next five seconds. Like that is so exciting to me. Or we're, it's 15 minute wait. We can call you back. Just that little touch. Yes. Felt respectful. Yes. I think, you know, with attention spans, basically at near, nearly zero and switching costs so easy you miss tons of opportunities like your shopping experience how many times have you have a question particularly in e-tail you know mm-hmm. you, you know you might have a question about something and there's no live chat there's no person available you have to wait we'll get back to you you get the email that you send to the contact us and we'll get back to you within 48 hours oh i know and i'm like what and you're like, that's that's not acceptable anymore. No. Times have changed. 48 hours, five years ago, great. 48 hours now is not acceptable. And even if you think about something as simple as shipping, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, waiting four to six weeks for your item to be shipped to your house was standard. And then it was, this will be there in one to two weeks. This will be there in four to five days. If I don't have something in my house, fine, maybe two days. Maybe I will wait two days for something. And that's that's become the new normal and the new and the new standard. It also means I now will buy something extremely last minute because I assume I'm going to get this in one to two days. And that translates to everything we do now. We expect immediacy. Yeah, it's the Amazon effect. It's the yeah. one click buy, right? So it's like if you're not like again. Maybe your situation isn't one click buy, especially if it's an enterprise software, but it's still like it's one click to speak to a human, like Mm -hmm. one click to a demo or like, hey, if you don't want to talk to any salesperson like right now, like here's the demo, here's the thing, you know, here's five ways that you can engage right now. And having conversational marketing is a huge part of this. I was going to say, what are your thoughts on sort of chatbots and conversational marketing in that whole space right now? We use Drift pretty successfully and Drift continue. I mean, they're in a great place. I, I've been working kind of in that space for a while. I've person I've been doing work with for years, mm-hmm. both as a consumer as well as a helper. And um, I think it makes tons of sense because, you know, people are on your site. They're looking at things. You have to be careful about interrupting mm-hmm. in, in a non-respectful way like, I see you just, would you like a dent? Would you like a demo? I can arrange one today. I can do it right now. Yeah. You know, it's it just too quick to the chase. Yeah. Like there's a, I, I actually think the future of marketing is going to be about seduction. Everybody wants to be seduced in some, mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's the art of that, that practicing that, because we have these facilities that can, they cut to the chase really, you can cut yeah. to the chase too quickly. And you know what it's like. It's just, now you and just the, turn me off. And uh, could we please turn off the audible ping? Like mm-hmm. for the love of God, I do <laughs> not want to be sitting in a meeting and get, and because I go to visit your site, actually, and this happens a lot in, in the podcast world, because I'll have someone's like website, you know, up in the background. And then it's like, I'm getting like pinged and it's like audible, like, give me a break. Like, what, what are you doing? Completely. And I, I love what, what Tom just said on the this marketing as sort of this art of seduction, because you're right. The, hi, do you want a demo? 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 Guys, back off. I just want to read this article. But how do you give people the information, understand intent, understand cues, and start to engage with them in a, a different way that's non-interruptive, that's respectful and moves them along the journey? and I start to think again, and I was talking to someone recently. I am, um, you know, I go on tangents. Very early in my career, I was in sales and I was talking to someone that runs a sales team now and just whining about basically sales, about SDRs now. And I sat there and went, when I was in sales, we had a leaderboard and it was like, pick up the phone and smile and dial. And if I don't get, I better get to 50 calls a day. Mm-hmm. If I don't get to 100 calls a day, and what are we doing? And this is how sales works. And then I see these SDRs now who made six phone calls. And what is wrong? And just whining about, you know, the youth of today, as um, we all do, because that's what you're supposed to do. And seeing that, and then we started to talk about, well, how you engage now is different. 
when is the last time any of us picked up the phone to really talk to someone that might not be a close family member? And a lot of how communication today is done is is different. You don't call as many people. You have other ways of communicating with people other than just using the phone. It's just not interruptions. It's not interruptions. And then you have (laughs) um, this entire sort of millennial workforce and now buying force that isn't used to talking on the phone. No. That will find it uncomfortable picking up the phone. Or or, leaving a voicemail. Or leaving a voicemail. Which, by the way, I have 146 unlistened to voicemails, even though my voicemail says, do not leave me a voicemail. I won't check this. But you have people trying to that are communicating in their personal lives in a very different way. And then we're still trying to sell to them in their professional lives the exact same way that I was selling when I was in sales a longer time ago. And that's why I'm really, really fascinated with these ideas of like, what are we doing around chatbots? What are we doing around, can you send a video communication to someone? Because you're now engaging with them in a way that is more native and natural to them. That could be the lead up before the phone call, because the phone call now feels invasive versus do we have this initial conversation? Then the phone call happens. Any other stuff that you're seeing in the signal FX universe that's particularly relevant for real time. I mean, it's it seems like obviously all of your customers are investing in their platforms being real time, which therefore will lead to more opportunities for marketers to respond in real time. Any other kind of just like things that you're seeing? The fundamental problem that we solve, I think, is massively strategic because all the experiences that we have today are often with digital a digital service. Mm-hmm. And the ability to monitor the performance of all of your software that make up those services in real time so that you can catch problems before they affect your customers, therefore keeps their experience as, as good, it, you know, is really important. So the more companies, I think, understand that and embrace that, I think the better experiences we all will have as yeah. consumers because we won't have to deal with the frustration of bugs or problems or sites being down or lost transactions or whatever it might be. So that, you know, we're seeing greater and greater adoption of that. And so that if you think about the nature of real-time engagement, then you also understand that the companies that are setting the standards, A, today are the most valued companies out there, Mm -hmm. but they're also the standards by which we're judging every other company. Mm -hmm. And so... If you don't operate in the same way that those types of companies like Amazon and Google and Facebook and Apple and others operate, then you're ultimately at risk, right? And so being able to innovate in real time, being able to innovate without worrying about taking the site down is really important. You know, it's just, it's part of a bigger ecosystem. It's just, it's not about necessarily customer engagement real time, but it's bigger than that. What's well, like, you know, the the idea of like your brand is your interaction with your customers, like kind of that, like you don't know your brand, like your customers own your brand. Your experience is the new brand. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So if your experience on your website is, hey, this is constantly down or, hey, we can't test things. Um, the other thing is like, I mean, it's back to the basics with like first to contract, first to contract. I think like first contact now is like first meaningful, effortless well-experienced contact. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what, if you're not investing in real time, it just, it seems like it's going to be one of the biggest differentiators going forward. If you are, have the most effortless communication with people that can build that two-way street the way that they want to be communicated to in real time, then, you know, you're just going to win more. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's reductive, but it just feels that way. Yeah. All right. Let's do some lightning round stuff. We love lightning rounds because mm-hmm. you've both done it multiple times. And we're going to ask some different stuff this time. I like it. Um, these questions are fast and easy, as always, just like marketing automation with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM that is Salesforce. Check them out. We love Pardot. You will too. Lightning round questions. Are you both ready? Yeah. Ready. I get to answer? Yes, you get to Amazing. answer. Amazing. You usually ask them. 
Yes. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a round table. It's a joyous occasion we're celebrating. Number one, if you weren't a CMO and you had to have a job that pays you money, I the, there is a stipulation here. It has to pay you some amount of money. What would be your non-marketing dream job? Does ability need to play a factor in this? Um, I'd say, oh. I'd say, yeah. I in this in my little world here, we're gonna say <laughs> there funny. has to be some amount of ability. You can't say like pole vaulter if you don't know how to pole vault. Because my absolute dream job is rock star. But as my friend's nine year old would say, um, Lauren, have you thought about taking singing lessons? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, play an instrument. Play an instrument. Have talent, but rock star. It's not. It's never actually going to happen. Like rock star or musician? No, like rock star. Like okay. I want to be on. I want to be um, Freddie Mercury, and I want to be on stage in front of you know thousands and thousands of people. But I have absolutely no talent whatsoever. Uh, so that's probably not a good one. It's all right. It's an. It's a good uh, one. Um, something with inability. Yeah. Uh, CEO. Oh, hey, hey now. <laughs> Which is more likely than rock star. <laughs> yeah. You know, you never know. Start practicing the jazz flute. Uh, Tom, <laughs> fantasy dream job. A documentarian or biographer. That's fun. What any particular, like what's your, what's your dream bio that you want to do? Well, actually I'm working on one right now. What? Yeah. Say more. Uh, I can't because oh. it's going to be a secret. Okay. All right. Yeah. We are very excited to yeah, announce we'll... this on future Marketing Trends <laughs> episodes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's more personal, but yeah, that's super cool. So uh, I, I I um I was inspired by a book that I found, a very small book, in the Museum of Experience in London, hmm. where we went when I was at Sprinkler talking about customer experience. We had so we went for this this immersion experience in this museum, and at the bookstore, there was this tiny little book. There's this picture of this like old guy in a like a really bad suit. And and the title of it said, I lived in East London for 86 and a half years. And as I read this book, it was just wonderful, wonderful between the the photos and the story. It was this wonderful biography of this man. And I was really inspired by it and such that we actually created two of those types of books of two different types of people, a woman who lived in London and a entrepreneur who lived in New York. And we, we just, we were able to get down two or three or four different layers, which was, in, which was what was fascinating about it, um, about each of the people. And so I'm kind of basing what I'm doing on, in this biography um, on that same kind of premise. Well, let us know. Yeah, I shall. Promote, promote the heck out of it. How about favorite thing to cook or eat? So since I've, I've been on sabbatical, I started cooking again. Uh, and I forgot that I used to like to cook and entertain. Uh, I will say my go-to is I make amazing eggs. Mm. Um, it's a very, very strange thing to make amazing. I do other things well, but anytime I've got a friend's house that a bunch of us will go to and I'm in charge of breakfast. And I make exceptional poached eggs. Mm, wonderful. Poached as in like in the boiling water. In the poached. boiling water poached. It is. Everyone thinks wow. it's really fancy. It's super easy. And I will do poached eggs with omnivore salt and avocado with lemon zest on really good bread. Or if you're keto, because every it's the Bay Area and everyone has dietary restrictions, myself included. It's the cauliflower, the oh, fake yeah, yeah. bread. It is delicious. Mm. I'm really hungry right now, so that sounds so good. So I mean, I mean, I'm through and through Italian. So um, anything Italian that we make is my go-to. But having grown up, having you know pasta multiple times a week and all yep. the rest, you know how that's really changed. But years, uh, I just, I mean, my wife and I start our Saturday mornings after we go to Cafe Venezia for our macchiatone. We go, <laughs> we go to. Uh, we go to uh, the farmer's market in Palo Alto and what we buy there, which, by the way, having moved here from New York, like 
the produce is ridiculous. It's off the charts. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's amazing out here. I've already gone through, as of yesterday, I'd gone through everything I bought over the weekend. So I'm so disappointed that I have to wait, right? But that what we what we see there determines what the menu is going to be like kind of for the week. It's pretty cool. That's okay. great. Yeah. And I will say since moving, I moved to the Bay Area from New York 12 years ago. And when I lived in New York, I was a lot more carbs, a lot more pasta. And now I come out here and I am a ton of vegetables, a ton of fresh produce, very high protein right now as well. But it's just so interesting how where you are can so easily sort of dictate and change. This this becomes the new normal. Yeah. Final question. What do you believe in the future that most people think is crazy? Well, as I, I was saying earlier before we got started, like it, it may not win elections or be as noticed as bravado seems to be these days. But I believe the art of the human connection and treating people with respect will in the long run, you know, come back to be important again. And it just doesn't seem, just doesn't seem to be how people think these days. But I notice when you practice that, it really, well, it works. It's just, I mean, I can't change who I am because I really believe it. Um, I completely and totally agree with you on that. So what do I think? Um, what do I believe that I think people will think is crazy? I About the future. About the future. Well, I believe plenty of things that people think are, are, are crazy. Um, something that I'm fascinated with right now, just sort of going off the whole sort of diet and changing the way people eat. I think we're going to start applying more data, more science to uh, health and nutrition. Yeah. And there's a couple of startups out there that are fascinating that are based on your own genetics. This is how your body reacts to food, Mm. how your body reacts to exercise. And we can legitimately become healthier, better versions of ourselves with potential for longer, more sort of richer lives by applying some of the science and the data to health and nutrition. The downside of this is this is going to have a really strong positive impact on people with money or for people with money and not do a lot for people that don't have money and access to. It's great to know if you eat these types of foods, you will live longer and be healthier. If you live in a food desert or don't have money to afford this, it doesn't do much for you. But I do believe there's a big sort of future trend that's happening there. The want to save the world type in me wants to figure out how to take that information for urban farming and how you can actually take this and apply it to people that can't necessarily afford the extra amazing, delicious, organic, locally grown, small farm raised food just because it's cost prohibitive. So when I was at Andreessen, the team that founded uh, Soylent. Mm-hmm. were they were basically computer scientists right mm-hmm. and they you know in classic fashion they were like why do i have to like have all these meals and yeah. why do i have to go and put all this food together and like mm-hmm. can i just create something that optimizes all of that and have it be really easy to consume and so that's how they they did it they did it like for themselves right originally because it's like i don't have the time to go shopping i don't have the time to cook just keep they, me alive. Just, yeah. But I think that those- But it was all the goodness that they needed and none of the bad. Yep. Those are the type of things I really think, though, like we look at down the road of like we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Like mm-hmm. those type of like butterfly wings kind of moments of just like asking why and questioning those things, I think have huge, you know, ramifications like down the road of people realizing something and just saying like, are we sure we need to like, you know, whatever, have whatever it is. Well, awesome. This has been great. Thanks so much for hanging out, both of you. You're You're, busy people. You're welcome. I wish we had poached eggs and avocado toast uh, and whiskey. Uh, (laughs) Next next, (laughs) next time, I will will make poached eggs as long as Ian brings us some whiskey. I'll bring the whiskey. That's that's a deal. Lauren, it's a pleasure meeting you. You too. It was great to see you again. Yeah. Talk soon. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is created by the team at mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot. 
world-class marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in the show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.